The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. They're not the good guys. They're not the bad guys. They're the other guys. Wait, wait, wait. Who the heck are these guys? This is the Finishing Move, the other guys podcast with your hosts, the bearded wrestling fan, Chris Colwell. And finishing move intern, David Holloway. They're breaking down all the latest in professional wrestling, and they're not just covering the big guys, they're covering the other guys, too. It's the finishing move, the other guys podcast, and it begins now. Again, though, who the heck are these guys? You had a couple moments this week where we had uttered the phrase, Woo, didn't see that coming. Well, Chris Colwell, we are back with another episode of the Other Guys Podcast. I still can't believe they're letting us have this show keep going. And better yet, they're letting you lead the discussion today. What in the world is going on in the world of Dickie Broadcasting as we do this here podcast? It's good to be back, though. I'm glad they let us come back. And yeah, you're right. It's been kind of a crazy week of wrestling. And uh, well, get to it, man. Well, the, for those of you who are just joining us, this is the Other Guys Podcast. I am the intern, David Holloway. I am joined by the man with the second best beard in the world of wrestling. Sorry, Chris, but first is obviously Daniel Bryan. Chris Colwell, the bearded wrestling fan himself. And Chris, we had a pretty stacked weekend of Hell in a Cell and Bound for Glory. It's always been a very... Whenever we have a weekend this stacked, there's a lot to talk about. So let's get right into it, Chris. What did you think of Bound for Glory overall? Well, I mean, they definitely brought the A-game as far as the matches. They had a stack card, and you had some kind of some eye-popping results there that I don't know that anybody saw coming, but that makes it less predictable, and it leads to a very memorable event. We got some good returns from the gauntlet, um, namely the one that sticks out to me is James Storm, who we haven't seen an impact in, oh gosh, it's been two, three, four years probably since he was last there. Back, I think they were still TNA then. Uh, last time he were, was there, I don't even think... You, I think they were Global Force Wrestling. It was back when um, What's-His-Face had uh, the... Uh, that little bitty blip in time they were called Global Force. Yeah, they had that uh, American Top Team, I think it was, that little stable going on, and they retired James Storm in... Uh, That's right. Yeah, that, last time I remember seeing James Storm is when they surrounded him with beer bottles and smashed him over his head for their leader to get the pin and retire him officially from TNA. Yeah, we're going to try to forget that moment in time because that right. wasn't exactly the best moment in TNA slash Impact slash Global Force Wrestling, whatever the heck you want to call it. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was good to see James Storm back uh, this past Saturday at the show. Um, yeah, and some kind of just uh, some good quality wrestling, which you knew they were going to bring out to uh, to play and a super cool announcement of what's to come in the uh, future months here in uh, Impact Wrestling as far as the I wish they would call it the women's division, but the knockouts division uh, with the tag titles coming back. For the sake of it, let's just call it the women's division just because it makes us feel better about it. And also the fans might like it better, too. Anyway, yeah, you're right there. The knockouts women's tag team champions are back. And I'm very excited to see where they go with this. But the one moment in the Bound for Glory 
a gauntlet match that stuck out to me was the return of Hornswoggle was there, or Swoggle as he's called there. Very entertaining to see, but Brian Myers, man, he looked really good in that match. And I love the fact that he used Hornswoggle as a weapon to take out one of the competitors and then just it says, great to see you, buddy. Looks him dead in the eyes and just drops him over the top rope to eliminate him. Brian Myers, yeah, looked, he looked really good in that gauntlet match with a lot of eliminations, man. And I'll tell you what, he's going to go places in this company. Well, yeah, they've definitely been pushing him pretty hard since he's been in Impact Wrestling. Uh, he's had wins over Tommy Dreamer, and and clearly they wanted to make him look strong. I mean, they've got a long road to go with him because he's been nothing but a jobber for years for WWE. So you gotta you gotta really get some credibility for him, and I think that's what they're trying to do here. But speaking of Tommy Dreamer, how about the Road Warrior Animal Paint when he came out paying homage to the uh, to the legend, the uh, Hall of Famer, the uh, now. Uh, departed uh, from the, uh, these parts, uh, but, you know, paying tribute to him. And, uh, you know, I thought that was pretty cool. I love that as well, Chris. And I'll tell you this, what really stood out to me, I was almost correct because last week, if you remember, I predicted saying that Heath and Rhino would be the last two competitors in the gauntlet match to uh, go for the winner of the Bound for Glory trophy. But it was so close, but Heath Slater... Probably tore his groin injury, tore his groin muscle. Don't, which, don't call him Slater. You're going to get sued. Right. Heath Miller, I think, is what it's gone by now. But he apparently injured his groin muscle, which from experience, I've pulled it twice. It is a very, Ooh. very painful injury. I mean, you could barely walk when you when you hurt that. And he was eliminated, sec, not last, but second to last. Sammy Callahan was left in there with Rhino. Rhino ended up getting the win and getting the contract for Heath and saving his own job. And I'll tell you what, I was really, really close, man. I thought that might have been the route they'd go if Heath hadn't gotten hurt. Well, from what I've read, the plan was for it to be Heath and, and Sammy in the end, and then Heath was going to win, then they just switched him and Rhino but uh, because of Heath's injury. But, uh, I mean, I was just glad to see Sammy Callahan actually be in that match because we talked about it last week when we previewed the show that, you know, for for a guy like Sammy Callahan, who's been the best, one of the best talents in the company for the last several years, especially from the heel side of things, at the time he wasn't scheduled for a match. He was going to be in the corner of Ken Shamrock for his match with Eddie uh, Eddie Edwards. I almost got him Eddie Guerrero, uh, Eddie Edwards. Um, but you know, to see him at least get a spot wrestling on the card, even if it wasn't the gauntlet, good to see him there. Uh, but you know. Where this could go with Rhino now? Now that they did have the audible, you still salvage the fact that you know Rhino's job's good, his job's good, so you salvage the storyline at least. But it'd be fun to see where they go. Like who Rhino go? Does he say that he wants to team up with Heath to go after the tag titles now, or does he say, "Hey, I I kind of want to go after the world title," so you know I'm going that direction. Sorry, Heath, I got you a job, but that's all he get. I guess watch your back there, Rich Swan, or maybe Moose, I guess, if the TNA World Heavyweight Championship still is a valid title in TNA. But let's also move on. It to was never a valid title. Let's be honest. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's move on to the Sammy Callahan and Ken Shamrock match. Uh, Ken Shamrock versus Eddie Edwards. Very good match overall. Very technically built. And I'll tell you this. Ken Shamrock looks fantastic. He's like, what, in his mid-50s or something? Yeah, I think he's 56. 50-something, 50 uh, yeah. yeah. It, 
Yeah, he's right there in the mid middle. He got just inducted into the uh, Impact Wrestling Hall of Fame, and of all people to induct him was The Rock, which I thought was interesting, considering The Rock's you know last we checked was still somewhat associated with WWE, whether it's contractually or not as a wrestling or as a wrestler. But still, I mean, to see him you know contribute to Impact Wrestling, that's still pretty cool. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that's a good opponent in with Eddie Edwards can go. He can make anybody look good. He's been one of the stalwarts. He's really been the heart and soul of in this version of Impact Wrestling for uh, the last six or seven years, and uh, that was a good choice for Ken Shamrock, who, you know, he's not what he once was, but he doesn't embarrass himself in the ring. And, yeah, you're right. He looks great. He looks like a million bucks for a guy who's in his mid-50s. I'll tell you what, though. It, I do agree that it was a good move to bring him get him the win over Eddie Edwards just because he's a, he just got inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I think it'd be fair enough just to give him a great win to uh, cap off a great evening for him. Now let's go on to the most interesting part of the card, which I thought was the most interesting. The Knockouts Championship match, Deanna Prazo versus what was supposed to be Kylie Ray. Now, before the match, Kylie Ray's music hits. She doesn't show up. Josh Matthews and is just sounding so confused. He does not know what the heck is going on. And then out comes Sue Young. And she is the one, the undead bride herself, is the one to challenge the Virtuosa for the knockouts title. Yeah, that was out of left field. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Although, I mean, they've been teasing the return of Sue Young for a while now as Susie in her uh, more, you know, lighthearted, not, demonic uh, character has been slowly kind of getting those moments where she snaps into like being like Sue Young and then all of a sudden, Oh, I'm back to being nice again. So it was bound to come and, and that character's return was, was going to happen. But uh, to see her challenge here, it was at a left field. Now there's been some reports as to why exactly they went this direction. It wasn't necessarily planned, but that not only does Sue Young end up coming out and replacing, uh, replacing, uh, Kylie Ray in this match, but she walks away with a strap. Now that's pretty interesting because you also I'm gonna we're gonna talk about this in a second, but Rich Swan ended up taking the title off of Eric of off Eric Young. So now we have a husband and wife title title sharing in TNA, which we were supposed to have in NXT with Gargano and Candice LeRae coming up in Halloween Havoc. We could see two brands having a a power couple. Now we got Rich Swan and Sue Young. Things are getting real interesting now. Now that we'll transition now into the Impact Championship match right now. We had Rich Swan taking on Eric Young, which I thought was probably the best storytelling out of TNA on their end. So let's go with this. I feel like a dumb a dummy for thinking that Rich Swan wasn't gonna get over on this one because Bound for Glory, the biggest pay-per-view on the card on the pay-per-view calendar. And I man, I should have saw I should have seen that coming, man. My head was scratching, it's like, what the heck was I thinking on that one that Rich Swan wasn't gonna get over? You know why we both thought that Eric Young would win? It, it's there's a history within that company with Bound for Bound for Glory. Obviously, is WrestleMania for them, and so it is the biggest event of the year. And so you always build to the biggest matches, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you get that typical WrestleMania like fairy tale ending where the babyface, the 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 hero, and all of it stands tall. You've seen several moments like when EC3 challenged uh, Bobby Lashley for the championship in 2016 in which EC3 was the conquering hero that year. He turned babyface earlier in the year and that was supposed to be, you know, this whole build to finally getting EC3 and Bobby Lashley and EC3 didn't come away with the title. There's been other moments like when uh, Johnny Impact challenged 
I think it was Eli Drake in 2018. Again, another example of how they don't necessarily go that route where, hey, just because it's the biggest event of the year doesn't mean we have to send the fans necessarily home happy with the winner. It can be sending them home happy with the match, and that's what matters the most. And, you know, we both talked about it last week that, you know, Eric Young hadn't been champion for that long. He'd won it, I think, at sometime in August or September uh, at the Emergence show that they did on uh, Access TV, a version of a, their two-night event on Impact uh, Wrestling on the actual television show. But so he hadn't been champ for that long. So obviously it was, they put the belt on him to build to this story arc, to where they got with this match, this feud that's been going on since Slammiversary. It was a fairy tale ending to a great story that they've been telling for the last several months. Uh, an example of what storytelling can do for a rivalry that maybe on paper you look at and go, why is Rich Swan challenging for the world title of Impact Wrestling? But then you see the reasoning for it, and it makes sense. And you build, you know, you mentioned Hell in a Cell earlier. It's like the Jey Uso challenging Roman Reigns situation. On paper, does Jey Uso match up to Roman Reigns? Not a chance, but the story is there, and that's what keeps people hooked. So. That's what we got from this match with Rich Swan and Eric Young. But one way I can think I can compare this to is the buildup to WrestleMania with Kofi Kingston versus Daniel Bryan. I think that this kind of mirrored that to an extent because Kofi had to go through hell, like with from both Daniel and Vince McMahon himself, just to get that opportunity. And when he finally got that, it's the biggest pay per view event, and he finally got the strap on him. And he just that that was that fairy tale ending we were looking for. This is the one thing I can compare it to. And now that I look back, I'm thinking, how the heck did I not see that coming? So now let's go on to another part, the tag team, the fatal four way, which we predicted would steal the show. And it actually did. The first it started out with them all making their entrances, but when the machine guns come in, Alex Shelley gets taken out with a pile driver on the stage. And now it's Chris Saban. Nasty pile driver. Oh, dude, it looked terrible. But I'll tell you what, Alex Shelley was hurt to begin with. And the pile driver is obviously a storyline injury. But Alex Shelley was dealing with an injury, which is why they didn't put him in the match to begin with. But Chris Saban fighting off three other tag teams by himself. He put up a valiant effort. But as you predicted, Chris Cole, you were correct. The North came out on top, no pun intended, to take the tag team titles back. So we got a bunch of not naughty hosers taking away the titles in very, very suspicious <laughs> fashion, those dirty hosers. So, Chris, you did you see that? I know you saw it coming, but did you see it coming in the way they did? Well, I have to correct you, and I can't take credit for this. I actually, my prediction was Ace Austin and Madman Fulton. That's to come right. On. I did predict right. the title change. I did not predict. I figured, okay, the North held the belts for well over a year. They just lost them a few months ago to the guns at Slammiversary. Or no, actually, no, it wasn't Slammiversary. It was the night after, or the impact afterwards when they did that title change. Uh, but, yeah, to I just didn't think they'd put the belts back on them that soon. I did have a feeling that the guns probably would drop them and that it was too soon for the Good Brothers. So you needed the heel team to win. I just thought it would be Madman and Ace because they might run with them. But it's not a bad way to go with the North. Now you can go in the direction you're building towards the next pay-per-views in January. Hard to Kill makes its return from last year's version. And uh, if that's the direction you're going is, is you know, the North going to carry the belts till then and they're going to be facing a team like the Good Brothers who are going to probably be the long-term babyface tag team cha- or tag challengers because I don't know that the guns are going to be together long-term. I don't know how long Alex Shelley signed to the company. I know Chris Saban's going to be around because he's a producer, but you could very easily spin him off into the X Division if you really wanted to. Uh, 
you know, at least in the short term, it looks like the Good Brothers are the team that's going to step up. You need a good challenge, challenge or a good team for them to challenge. Uh, and there's no better right now in TNA. You got me saying it now. It's not TNA. It's like it's Impact. They're gonna, yeah, it's Impact. You know, TNA is dead. Just don't tell Moose that champion. But <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you you don't get much better in the tag division in Impact Wrestling than the. I can agree with you on that one. Now, there's a cinematic match that happened, which was between EC3 and Moose for the TNA Heavyweight Champion, a championship which you say is is not valid, which I can kind of see that. But at the same time... No, it's the illegal. It's not recognized by Impact Wrestling at all. It is a gimmick championship that doesn't matter. It's the million dollar championship of Impact Wrestling. Well, or you could also say it was the WCW championship back before WCW went defunct and became part of WWE, which then became the World Heavyweight Championship. That's another probably good good um comparison right there as well, wouldn't you think? I I guess maybe I I mean maybe it was the uh when uh, Edge and McFoley brought the hardcore title back for a split second in tw- uh, 2006, I mean, it's just, it's basically it's a championship that actually it's the FTW title. R- okay, that's, that's there. There's your modern day comparison. I can kind of see it's not that a way, recognized yeah. championship. It might still be defended, but it's not recognized by the company. Therefore, it's not an actual belt. Well, anyway, it's just he dug it up out of the archives right. and put his own little white strap on there. And now, hey, look, I'm the champ because I said I'm the champ. Well, anyway, now we're on to that match itself. Very cinematic, very dark. I mean, you could see like EC3 got busted open pretty badly. Got sort of a crimson mask going. Um, he had his own little goons surrounding the ring. And it was it was a very clean fought match as far as like no interference is concerned. EC3 didn't come away victorious. Moose pretty much knocked him unconscious, basically. It was just a fight. It wasn't more, nor, more so a legitimate match. The undisclosed location seemed to be some rotting shack where EC3 had a ring set up. But I'll tell you what, it was very interesting. Kept me locked. It kept me invested in throughout the whole time. The um, the actual darkness of the match itself. The actual fact that it was more of a fight rather than an official match. I was kind of I was very invested in this feud, and I guess it, I think it got a really good payoff. I think part of what made the feud is something that you got tuned into is the fact that it's been kind of cinematic really from the beginning you basically only seen ec3 in those uh recorded scripted promos that you know seem like it's a uh, part of a, a tv show or something and not just you know live in ring promo and you've seen a lot of those vignettes like that from him and it, it made sense that the final match would take place in the way that it did inside of a cinematic match which if 2020 has brought us anything that is what it's brought us we've got uh, a reliance on that now, whereas you know the first time we ever saw one, the uh, really I guess the modern version of it, the uh, oh the the deletion, final deletion, or right. the uh, total deletion, the, the very first uh, broken Hardy, uh, broken Matt Hardy match with against Jeff Hardy. I mean, that's really the first time we ever saw that, and I think a lot of folks then were like, "What is this? That's not wrestling." But now you're seeing it be accepted because that eventually, you know, people come around around on that. And then, of course, you know, WrestleMania this year, it kind of necessitated when you had an arena empty for a WrestleMania, you needed something to to break up the monotony and something to make things separate and just be a little bit apart from what you had seen the rest of the uh, night and to make it feel special. And that's how you got a Bowtaker and AJ Styles. That's how you got uh, the Firefly Firefly Funhouse match with Bray Wyatt and John Cena. Then you got other cinematic style matches and you know you've seen that kind of continue on 
uh, throughout multiple companies, and I think it's going to be here to stay. I thought it was good for that then that they worked one in there. I I don't know that I necessarily want to see every pay per view feature one of these, but it's good to see one when the time calls for it, and on a special event like Bound for Glory. And I think thought this match told a great story, uh, and just the way that it ended with you know that hesitation from from me. D3, uh, you know, as he's kind of lost in that whole narrative thing, and that's how Moose took advantage of it, and he gets the win. So, uh, you know, again, great storytelling, and, uh, you know, I didn't really see Moose winning this match, but why not? I don't see why not either. Like you said, EC3 probably wasn't signed to the company for a long time. I'm not sure what his deal entails, but we'll see that coming I don't think he road. actually has a contract at all, because he's also showed up recently in Ring of Honor. Very true. So I think he's kind of one of those uh, freelancer-type talents right now, where he's kind of only outside, he's in, but he's not in. So whether he's they're going to be there long-term, this might have been his one and only match with, uh, with Impact Wrestling for now. I think he's just kind of trying to see where he fits. Only time will tell, my friend. But now let's go on to the opening match, which... We kind of glossed over, but it was a really good one. A six-pack challenge, as WWE calls it, but this is called a championship scramble match, which to me, I felt like the title of the match was a little misleading because I assumed it would be more like the WWE championship scramble they had back in Unforgiven 2008. I was a little confused on that, but then I realized, okay, it's just a six-way match for the X Division title. Rohit Roju comes in as champion and pretty much... I could have called this either way. However, Rohit Roju coming out as champion and seeing how he has been kind of the annoying heel champion as like a Bo Dallas, just like pissing everybody off in the locker room. I can see how he did it. But one thing I really found funny in this is when he started beating up Jordan Grace, he just started yelling equality. And like whenever he would hit it, <laughs> he would like hit a slam on him or a splash on her. He would just yell equality right as he did it or something i thought that was pretty well well said and i thought that was pretty funny seeing that right there leads me to think that there's more there's more to jordan grace being in the x division right now than just this one-off match and you didn't she was kind of done with uh going after diana perrazzo in the knockouts division for the knockouts title and uh i mean you did the feud with tanel dashwood but you know where else does she go from here Maybe the plan is, again, I said it last week, is she going to be kind of their replacement for Tessa now that she's gone? Is Jordan Grace going to be that female that steps up? I mean, my goodness, she's she's a pretty big girl. I think she could actually hold her own in a lot of ways, whereas I thought Tessa was kind of unbelievable in some of her matches against guys that were much bigger than her. Jordan, especially in the exhibition, might not actually come off that way. It's kind of like the Nia Jax thing when she was in the Rumble. It's like, well, there's some there's some guys in there that she's actually bigger than, so maybe this will work, but uh, I definitely, you know, I saw Roju losing the title here just because you had so many great challengers, but the booking there was certainly open for him to walk away with it when he can just do what he's done this entire reign and take advantage of other people's work. That's basically what he did to win the title, and it, the booking just makes sense for him uh, if you're going to go that direction it's like okay he doesn't have to look nobody has to look weak while he gets the win because he's supposed to be the chicken crap heel he's supposed to be the the lying sleazy heel and that's how he holds on to the title well i think they did a great job of that as well and i totally agree with you on that point but here's my a couple standouts for me in this match number one jordan grace obviously she looked fantastic in it she did a great job standing up with the men and I thought she she got a lot of great spotlight in her spots. And also another one that kind of stood out to me, Willie Mack. That dude flew around the ring and looked fantastic while doing it. Took everybody out. 
I could have seen him taking the title as well. I think he would have been a good choice for the exhibition title. But man, Willie Mack is just one of those big boys that can fly. Yeah, he is. And he's shown that ever since he's been in Impact Wrestling. And he's a former X Division champion at that. So you know he can go in the X Division. For his size, man, he can just flat out move. He reminds you a lot of Keith Lee and how Keith Lee can move around and do some stuff that a guy that size can't or shouldn't be able to do. I don't think or Samoa Keith Lee Joe. Can do a, I don't think Keith Lee can do a standing moonsault, though. Uh, probably not, but you know, maybe maybe an Apollo Cruz without the extra girth on him maybe is a better comparison. I don't know, but yeah, Willie Willie Mack can do a lot of stuff. Um, and, you know, seeing him eventually go after the Impact World title will be good down the road. Him and Rich Swan, obviously friends, and you might see him challenge him in a friendly match, or I, I doubt you'll see a heel turn from either one of them any to, anytime soon because they're both so over as baby faces. But uh, Willie Mack is, uh, man, he's just underrated. Yeah, totally. And I, if they were to have that match, I can totally see it being like, them going at it and then there'll be outside interference kind of getting in the way of everything and then they would the match just be thrown out and I can totally see that's how Willie Mack will get his title opportunity against a person like Rich Swan. so that wraps it up for our impact coverage of Bound for Glory overall I thought it was a very well done pay-per-view the booking was just right there was no head scratchers in that one in my opinion so Chris you want to give your overall thoughts on it well I mean I pretty much agree with you it's just I, I think what I took from it was I made my predictions. Uh, I don't know <laughs> whether my predictions changed between what we talked about last week and what I wrote down on paper the other night. I can tell you right now, what I had in me was a lot different than what transpired in the event, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. That means the event was not predictable, uh, and uh, you know it's not like it was a bad unpredictable. You know, I didn't. I, I predicted that Deanna Perrazzo, per, uh, uh, my gracious, I can't speak right now. Uh, I predicted she would lose the title, but nobody would have caused Sue Young winning the title. Everybody had Kylie Ray if you were going to go that direction. Um, but, you know, I have no problem with Rich Swan as champion. And, I you know, Roju is con- uh, holding on to the X title, which I did not predict would happen. Uh, you know, that was a, a surprise, too. And the fact that I can see he's got more legs because he hasn't been champion that long. You can take him a lot further with these ways where he weasels his way out of still being champion. Um, so that wasn't a bad way to go either. And and obviously with the tag division, you know, the North still being the or being the t- kingpins of the division again, not a bad way to go with it. Um, and I don't hate Rhino being the the Gauntlet winner either. So uh, you know, overall, I thought good booking, good show, and a good way to to begin the next year of Impact Wrestling. All right, now we move on to uh, the other side of things, NXT. And man, we kick it off with a real shocker, a big jaw dropper, something nobody saw coming. The NXT Tag Team Championship match last week on NXT featured, was supposed to feature the Undisputed Era taking on Brizongo. But due to unknown circumstances, both Bobby Fish and Roderick Strong taken out backstage, Kyle O'Reilly refuses to step up and take his opportunity. So he offers it over. To Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch, their opponents from the week before, and one of my favorite tag teams in all of NXT. But during the match itself, Frizango was caught off guard by a masked assailant. Someone wearing what looks like an aluminum face mask or something with no eye holes in it. It just looks weird. And Lur- Bur- Lur- Burch and Lorcan take advantage. 
and they end up winning the NXT Tag Team Championships. That's right. We have new champions in Birch and Lorcan. And out comes the assailant still with mask and hood on. And it reveals himself to be Pat freaking McAfee. That is right. He is back <laughs> to get in the Undisputed Era's business. And I love, 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 love this big time. Especially the fact one of my favorite tag teams has the belts. And one of the most entertaining men in sports, Pat McAfee, is back on NXT to wreak havoc on the Undisputed Era. And as a heel, too, which I think is a good way for good is a good suit for him. Oh, yeah, I mean, as <laughs> I'm going to be the name dropper and the podcast dropper here on the show today. But and there's Bruce his Pritchard. There's his contractual yep. cheap pop. There it is. As Bruce Pritchard would say on something to wrestle with. He's a natural. He just is a heel in real life. He just naturally is a heel. So it makes sense that he would be the heel here because that's just kind of what he is. But I take it based on how excited you are of his return that you were because you and I never got a chance to really talk about this. Uh, we talked about it a bunch on the uh, the radio show back when he, you know, it, they did the whole shoot thing with him and Adam Cole building to that match. I take it you were a fan of, of that storyline and that match. At first, I was a little confused on it because I had no idea where to go with it. But when it came on and they ended up having the match, I was all for it, man. Pat McAfee looks fantastic in the ring. I was a very big fan of how he fought Adam Cole. Although, I'll tell you this, I was very surprised that he fought him as much, as well as he did. And I was like, give me more of this. And plus, Pat McAfee's kind of a goof in real life, too. But, man, when he gets the mic in his hand, he can go with the best of them. Oh, he's, he's gold on the microphone. And... I think, honestly, most fans would have hated it that he did go so toe-to-toe with Adam Cole if he had looked terrible in the ring. But the fact that he was actually really impressive should you know, definitely come off as athletic and having an idea of what he was doing in there, even if he wasn't completely polished. He just didn't look like some you know, football players that have, you know, tried to to make the transition and you know look like well they got you know they, they know how to take a bump but it still looks ugly and they don't really belong in the ring or competing with someone on the level of Adam Cole he did not you know look disappointing at all as far as the way he performed we weren't necessarily talking on the show back then me and Big John both were you know really kind of against the idea of them having a match but I I saw it as oh you know Adam Cole just got some notoriety off of being on Pat McAfee's show and that going down so maybe that's a way to debut Adam Cole in the main roster with Raw or SmackDown but instead we get the match and after the way it turns out I, I instantly am like all right if Matt if Pat McAfee wants to come back and may, maybe not be a regular member of the roster, but be someone that can be the mouthpiece for someone and then wrestle occasionally, I don't hate that at all. Now we see what's happened here. Lurkin and Danny Burch, now tag team champions with Pat McAfee backing them up. There's the mouthpiece for them because obviously they're not, they're not, you know, sit they're going to light the, uh, the, you know, the world on fire with their mic skills. They're guys that can go out there. They're roughhousing. They're tough. Uh, and that almost kind of fits what we could have been seen develop with Rich Holland, who's got that rugby background. You know, if Pat McAfee is going to be revealed in storyline to be behind that, which I think he is, also he's put together a stable of guys that are just roughhousers, which makes sense based on his football career. I'm interested. You know, it's funny when we did the Dark Matches podcast not too long ago. Me and Big, you, me and Big John, we were I John brought up the idea of bringing. 
uh, Mojo Raleigh and and I th- brought this up to add Riddick Moss to that and have them be a tag team and have Pat McAfee be their mouthpiece since they have that football background. But now that Pat McAfee's back with a tag team as mouthpiece, I can say I am very looking forward to seeing where this storyline goes on moving forward to see if the Undisputed Era will come back to exact exact their revenge on Mr. McAfee and the new tag team champions. Now let's go on to Halloween Havoc, which is coming up this Wednesday on on USA Network. This is going to be very interesting because we kind of took a look at this before, but now we're starting to get more of a final card. We found out on Wednesday that Cameron Grimes will be facing off against Dexter Loomis in a House of Horrors match, and it was a very entertaining Whoa, whoa, easy, easy, man, easy. It's a family show. House of Horrors match? Oh, you said horror. Oh, what you think okay. I said? Make, Jeez. I, 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 all I'm saying, man. I God, just, Chris, careful, get your mouth. I know you're a married man, but man, get your mouth, get your head out of the gutter for gosh sake, man. Jeez, oh, dude, man, easy, careful. <laughs> anyway, Cameron Grimes will be facing off against against Dexter Loomis in a House of Horrors match, which is a very entertaining idea, given the fact that Dexter Loomis himself kind of looks like he belongs in a haunted house. And also the the backstage <laughs> segment itself was very entertaining. Seeing him get his give Cameron Grimes do his his stereotypical like cocky attitude, just walking around thinking that he's on top of the world, he's king of the world, and then he gets told he's in this match with Dexter Loomis, and he looks terrified. His the color drains from his face. He's staring off, his stuttering <laughs> his speech, and in the background, just in the window, you could just see Dexter Loomis just staring at him. Just staring there through the window watching him and he doesn't even know he's there. And Cameron Grimes just looks like he's absolutely petrified. And he's like, yeah, yeah, uh, Mr. Regal said that? What? He said, uh, I got to go talk to Mr. Regal. And then he just walks off and Dexter Lewis just, is just chomping at the bit to get to, to Cameron Grimes. I'm looking forward to see where this goes because seeing Cameron Grimes terrified like that was very funny to watch. I'm really looking forward to see how he survives in this environment. I'm guessing that there's your uh, cinematic match for this week because I'm guessing you're not going to have that actually be in the ring. So uh, that should be interesting. I'm with you, though. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny seeing Cameron Grimes and his goofy, you know, cocky demeanor kind of play off of this creepy, brooding Dexter Loomis, but um, I don't know if you've been on Twitter lately. <laughs> Apparently, there's a, I guess Dexter Loomis put it out there on Twitter. There is a drawing of Dexter holding the head on Twitter right now. Does he still have that stupid hat on his head? I think he did. I okay. think he did. But Cameron Grimes sees this, retweets it with a comment that I'm going to share this with Mr. Regal and tell him why this match needs to be called off. You sure that he's, that's going to be able to make him call off the match, or is that going to encourage him to make the match keep going? Uh, I don't know. If I were I Mr. Regal, was, if I were Mr. I got Regal, a good I'd chuckle say, out of that. I would say, if, his, if I were Mr. Regal, I'd say, ha, this is funny. Let's still do it. And Kevin Grimes would still freak out. Okay, so anyway, we're going to go on to Johnny Gargano versus Damian Priest and Candice LeRae versus Io Shirai. Both respected titles are on the line, and it's a spin-the-wheel-make-a-deal for both of them. Now, there was a little backstage, a little taped segment of Candace and Johnny in their house. Johnny saying, I hate wheels. I hate wheels. I hate wheels throughout this whole thing because he hated the idea of having to spin the wheel. I thought uh-huh. that was very well put together there. No, absolutely. And I'm looking forward to these matches. I, I like the idea of the spin the wheel uh, concept. It's a good homage to the glory days of Halloween Havoc, the early days of it when that was more of a, a common thing. And, uh, 
you know, we'll see kind of what happens there with uh, where they go here. I honestly, I don't know that I see either title changing hands here. I definitely don't see Damian Priest losing that title to Johnny Gargano. I know we talked a little bit last week about uh, how Candice LeRae could really do some good things with the NXT women's title based on how we were really developing this character. But <sighs> here's what the thought that came across my mind earlier, really after the announcement of, of the upcoming Survivor Series pay-per-view on the Hill in the Cell show last night. It looks based on the graphic that once again, we'll be doing the brand supremacy thing with NXT included. You think about, you know, last year they did the uh, champions match, which featured all of the women's champions from all three brands. I really think Io Shirai fits in that a little bit more than Candice LeRae does. So to see an Oscar versus Sasha versus Io Shirai match, that Candice LeRae in there. So for that reason, belts are getting retained on Wednesday. Yeah, I can totally see that too. I mean, I was the one who brought up the idea that I didn't think Candace was going to lose to begin. It's going to win to begin with. So I kind of pat myself on the back for that one. Look but, at you bragging. Hey, man, when you're right, you're right. You know, and, and I'm not right very often. Well, you don't know that, that you're right yet. Well, we've proven that I'm not very right very often on this podcast. So we'll see how this goes. Anyway, I'm also very intrigued by the spin the wheel make a deal because God knows what kind of match we're going to see, and I'm very excited to see what. Anything could happen in this thing. I didn't really get a good chance to see all of the uh, possibilities on the wheel since they really didn't give us a good look at all the options, but I can only imagine what twisted things Mr. Regal has in store for these two. But the one thing that would be nice, and I don't think this is this is not going to happen, but the one thing that would be pretty cool is to see another power couple. Like, as we mentioned before, we have Rich, Rich Swan and Sue Young holding both titles in Impact, in Impact Wrestling. We could also see another one in NXT as well with Johnny and Candice. But Indy Hartwell is the one thing that's going to be in the back of my head during this women's titles match just to see where she fits into all this. If she's going to interfere in Candice's match and that's going to go her way, that's the only way I see EO dropping this title. But to your point, I don't see Candice going into Survivor Series against Asuka or Sasha. But then again, I'm going off of what last year's event looked like. And that's, you know, we got a, a different lineup of match that way again. They've you know, when it was just the brand supremacy thing with Raw and SmackDown, they didn't necessarily do the same thing year in, year out. Some years, the, the, the world champion of uh, both brands were in the Survivor Series match, and other shows they did the head-to-head match. So whether they go that – and then like last year, they had actual title defenses where they weren't even involved in the brand supremacy. So who knows where they're going to go. With that, you could easily just – have Candice LeRae as champion be part of the Survivor Series team that they headed that up for NXT. You never know. We'll see where they go. But uh, for me, yeah, the power couple thing is interesting, but I don't know that that's going to be the way they go here. And I guess to me it's different because you had the acknowledgement, obviously the acknowledgement of Candice and Johnny being married on television, whereas you know nobody acknowledges that on Impact, that Sue Young and, and Rich Swan are, you know, they're kind of an off-air power couple, so to speak. Kind of in a way like Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch were when they were, you know, uh, Seth the, was Universal Champion. And, they and, eventually made that public, but yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was, you know, and I think people may have kind of had an idea of it when they were first kind of teaming up on Raw last year, but then I think it became a, like a definite public thing later in the year once uh, once Seth had lost the Universal title and we moved on into the fall and whatnot, but uh, it was definitely public by the time we got to May of this year when we found out she was pregnant, but that's a whole other story. All right, so now the one storyline that I'm seeing in NXT that's developing right now 
Zia Lee is starting to become a heel. Now, this is desperately what she needed because she's a very highly touted prospect coming out of China. They teamed her up with Bova, who was in the in the um, NXT uh, breakout breakout tournament. He was a breakout Chinese star that came in. I don't know if he came in at the same time as Zia Lee, but there was I think he might have been in with TM Bing as well. I'm not 100% sure. I think he may have come in later. But that storyline is coming very interesting because Zia Lee has been dropping matches to to um to Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter, and that feud's kind of budding a bit. But now the to bring this in, this is very intriguing because Boba comes out after Zylee's matches and hands her a, a really in, a really interesting looking letter. God knows what it says, but I'm kind of interested to see where this goes. Maybe that she maybe that he becomes her valet and she starts to kick people's heads off and really start to push her way toward the top of the heel part of NXT's women's division. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what's behind the letters. What what is going on there? Is it something where you know they're going to play this up? Where you know back in the homeland, uh, you know the uh, those in power there aren't happy with their performance. I don't I don't know if they're going to go that route with it. I wouldn't be surprised. WWE's done some crazy stuff in the past, but uh, I'll be really interested if it's a family thing. I, who knows? I, I, if they're going to try to play off that she's, uh, you know, the two of them are, are related now or something, or they're, they're connected in some way, obviously. So, I mean, it gives her a chance to do something a little more than she was doing. She was just been always kind of a, hey, you know, she's she's pretty solid in the ring. And, uh, you know, she's there when we need her on television, but she's never really had a been part of a, a, a you know, a storyline really that's lasted any kind of length and to see her finally get, you know, to feature be featured is uh, obviously something that's only going to benefit the women's division going forward because she gives you another star out of that. So uh, we'll see where it goes. I think she's long overdue for a push nut because she's been pushed pretty well as far as like getting her name out there, but not necessarily getting pushed as getting wins. She's been in the Royal Rumble once as well. So I'm thinking that was the start and now she's finally getting more exposure. This is just exactly what Zylee needs. Now we're going to move on to AEW Dynamite from last week. The one segment that we talked about the most was the uh, steak dinner debonair with MJF and Chris Jericho. <laughs> Let me tell you this though. As a server, it kind of made me feel a little uncomfortable like seeing them kind of give the server a hard time because I know what that feels like. And it's not a fun experience to deal with people like that. But honestly, the first thing I, when MJF ordered his steak, I'm like, of course he'd be the one who got it. Well done, man. I mean, that's just the type of person MJF is. He is that kind of a douche on air, on air, honestly. And I think that I loved how they tried to go the one upsmanship, trying to get as rare as possible. That was funny going in. But then when they did that whole song and dance number, I'm like, Wait a minute, what the hell is this? <laughs> you know what? My thought initially right off the bat was, I can see somewhere in the last few weeks, Chris Jericho sitting around the table in the backstage area thinking, you know, we're going to do this whole thing with me and the MJF. What's never really been done in wrestling? Because <laughs> he's always thinking outside the box. Like a Frank Sinatra you know what's something be really cool to do? dancing thing. Yeah. I've never done... a. Yeah, wait, we never turned this into a call. And I can I can see where in the back of his mind, especially the fact that, I mean, he knows he can sing. Um, maybe he's not the greatest singer in the world, but he's not a bad singer either. He's a heavy Fozzie. metal singer, so, I mean, that's kind of... Yeah, I mean, he's not. he's got a different voice, yeah. but still, it's like, man, it'd be cool to check off my resume to be able to say I did a, I did a show tune thing in the middle of a wrestling show, and, I mean, I, 
I'm assuming that was actually MJF's actually singing, and I don't know if they had somebody voice over that. It's it's possible, but uh, I mean, knowing that the fact that he was a child prodigy before he was ever in wrestling, and he kind of was out there because he was on the Rosie O'Donnell show and all this stuff with his background. I mean, maybe he's got maybe he's more talented for, but, but I mean, I just thought that it was so out of left field. <laughs> it was like that. It, it was good. It just left me scratching my head, like, "What the hell is this?" And the, but I just couldn't look away. It was that. It was that entertaining. To it just watch. made me giggle. I mean, maybe I get, laugh. Uh, me the too. fact that yeah, you're seeing these two guys, they're wrestlers, and they're sitting there doing this, and it just like it's not something that I think I would watch over just so comically. But it's, it was like in that moment, it was just kind of like a, <laughs> that's was, kind of a funny thing. I was laughing. You know? I was laughing, but it was, it was more like, what the hell is this kind of laugh? Not just like, oh, this is hysterical kind of laugh. It's more like, what exactly. is, what am I watching kind of laugh? But then like when they were dancing with the girls, they just flat out drop them on the floor. That kind of made me, like, <laughs> that kind of made me laugh as well. But then when they, their steaks came out, they were literally on. They were like, they just looked like they just pulled out of the refrigerator when they were they were come yeah. out, and they just look. This is rare. I mean, yeah, yeah. We, we argued about steaks last well, week on the show. I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm, I'm not gonna eat a steak that looks like that. Well, I'm not gonna eat a steak that looks like that because that's not rare. That's just flat out uncooked. If it's rare, it's still like brown on the outside but i mean it's still a little red on the inside but like i actually read somewhere that if you actually cook a steak like for only like two minutes you kill off the, enough of the germs to where it won't kill you anymore so it is possible but it has to be like mm. i think this the outside of it has to at least be brown somewhat that just looked like something that was literally pulled out of the refrigerator raw well was the brutes they were being to the server of course they're gonna do that I, that's the kind of service they that, deserved that, let's be honest that just made me feel so uncomfortable if i'm be honest man i just <laughs> what, I, was her, what was the what was the girl's name oh shoot what Jericho was her kept name? making fun of the way mjf was saying her name wrong that was her oh, shoot what was her name you're right oh man that that, that escaped me but yeah that was hilarious. like i said as a server man that just like dealing with people like that i've had people like that before like it's just so uncomfortable. It just made me kind of flash back and cringe at the same time. But that was probably yeah. the most that was probably the most entertaining part of the entire night. But oh, um, without a doubt. Without and a here's doubt. the thing that I thought was interesting following just kind of seeing the reaction on social media because I didn't actually get to see the show live, so I kind of heard about it before I got to see it. But it was kind of funny to see how AEW fans are like, oh, that's one of the funniest and most creative things in the world. And but you, when you really look at it, it's just as over top and as ridiculous as some of the things that you would see in WWE. But it kind of they kind of got the thumbs up from a lot of fans that hey, you know, hey, they're thinking outside the box and they're doing something kind of you know different. Yet on you know Friday on SmackDown this past week, you got the Law and Otis thing with the. Versus Otis for the the Money in the Bank contract in front of JBL and right, and you know that most fans are sitting there going, "This is absolute stupid and garbage." And honestly, when I first saw it, my brain went there too, and that got me thinking, "Man, there is such a prejudice when it comes to like storylines and gimmicks like that um, against WWE right now." Whereas, you know, the new company on the block that we're going to be more forgiving of AEW because, oh, they're trying to do something different and we like them more right now. So, oh, well, hey, that's funny. But if WWE had done the same thing, we would have been like, this is the dumbest thing ever. 
I think it's more so the fact that Chris Jericho is the one behind it. I think that probably had an influence. I mean, it's in possible. It. And I think Jericho just being in it itself and him acting the way he does just kind of turns fans on more than it would when it's just like the Miz and Otis. And I one I do think that JBL, Ron Simmons, and Teddy Long were redeeming in that segment just because they're JBL, Ron Simmons, and Teddy Long. They're just there and it just people love to see them. And I think that's probably why You it know who wasn't I thought stole bad. the whole thing though? What was that? I thought Oscar stole it. Yes. <laughs> They're screaming Japanese. That's she's, just one of the funniest JBL things to me all JBL's year long. Just looking at, JBL's just looking at her like she's crazy. And then he looks over at Teddy's like, you got that? And he's like, yep, I got it. And um, <laughs> that was just that was just kind of funny. But I, yeah, I think that was kind of funny just watching JBL just stare at the briefcase full of cash. And you hear the ching in the background. And he just changes his mind. Yeah. And, and then Michael Cole just goes, man, if only JBL were that easy to buy off back in the day. <laughs> okay, so hey, we're gonna yeah, move on absolutely. to we're gonna move on to the fatal four way tag match. The Young Bucks taking on the Dark Order, Private Party, and Butcher and Blade. I think it was Butcher and Blade. What? No, is no, yeah, Butcher and Blade, right? Was the fourteen? Yeah, Butcher and Blade. Were yeah, in. that's right, that's right. So anyway, the Young Bucks getting over just as we thought would happen. Private Party was right. the wild card. They took the pin, which I thought was kind of surprising. But there's one little storyline out there that wasn't really brought up because we didn't I didn't really notice this until I heard about it afterwards but Alex Reynolds on the Dark Order got K the F O'd on the mat on the mat just laying there unconscious in the middle of the ring got had to get pulled out he was pretty much out the entire time John Silver's running around like a madman while his partner's laying there unconscious and afterwards the good news is he is okay he feels fine he's back he's probably gonna be cleared he might be cleared to wrestle I'm not sure if he'd gone through the concussion protocol or not but Young Bucks going on FTR. We are getting the dream match, and I couldn't be more excited for this one. The two best tag teams in the world are finally going to clash over the AEW World Tag Team Championships. The two best tag teams in the world now. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to have to disagree with you on that one. I mean, can we not give an, uh, you know, nod to Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura? Come on now. I'm very I mean, biased towards FTR, man. I thought they were one of the best tag teams. <laughs> in, I thought the FTR was one of the best tag teams when they were in WWE. I think they're better than they're. They're more of a pairing rather than just randomly thrown together like Cesaro and Nakamura. Yes. My thing is, I, I don't like teams that are just randomly thrown together unless they have something that makes them fit together. That's my thing. That like, oh, no. yeah, like Ricochet and Alistair Black when they were thrown together, or Samoa Joe and Finn Balor when they were thrown together. I was not a fan of that. But you see people like Dash and Dawson from WWE, or as they're known as Cash Harwood and um, Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler. Those guys are my favorite. That's just because their matches overall they just mesh really well together, both character wise and the style wise. They just mesh better together. The Young Bucks being brothers or things like that. Kenny Omega and Hangman Page being thrown together. I wasn't initially a fan of that just because it was so random. I'm not a big fan of those kind of pairings, and that's why I think that the Young Bucks and FTR is going to be a match that we will never forget. Oh, I absolutely agree with you, and obviously I was being a little facetious uh, a minute ago. They are... It's hard to argue FTR and the Young Bucks being the two best tag teams. I don't know who you can really... I mean, maybe you could make an argument for the North, but guess what? They're not in the big time. They're down there in Impact Wrestling, right. who is no longer, you know kind of at the forefront of, of most wrestling fans minds unfortunately you know even with a great show like bound for glory was but uh yeah it's going to be a great match with the hangman and, and kenny pairing for me i didn't hate that because there was at least a, a sense you know they might not have been the tag team 
of the group, but they were at least stable mates uh, in the part, elite. Yeah, they were so, still part of the elite. Yeah, I give them that. But I mean, just the pairing itself, just them two together was just kind of random enough to kind of make me think, eh, I'm not 100% sold on it. But eventually well, I did. Well, they also. Right, and there was no history of, if you look at the Bullet Club and, and the spinoff that the Elite was out of the Bullet Club, you look at some of the pairings over the years, and you saw Hangman team up with the Bucks, and you saw Kenny team up with the Bucks, but you never really saw Hangman and Kenny ever team up. So them teaming up in AEW was, was a little out of left field, but I think it paid off in the long run because once FDR finally beat them, it was kind of a big moment. So uh, I think it, over time it just worked with them as champions. But now we, we've moved on from that. We're to FDR and the Young Bucks. As far as that match itself, uh, the the Fatal 4-Way, when I saw um, – oh, my goodness. Alex Reynolds, Reynolds right? Yeah, yeah Reynolds. Mark that. Um, <laughs> yeah, when I saw Reynolds down on the mat like I did uh, – you know, this is, I guess this is kind of like as goofy as, as, as Reynolds and, and Silver's been as a part of the, the Dark Order. I guess this is bad that when I first saw it, I just thought he was just selling it and just sitting as still as possible when he was just laying there as everybody's wrestling around them. And I was just like, maybe this is just part of them being a little goofy and then come to find out, no, he was actually knocked goofy for like a, you know. <laughs> That's a, not that's a good be, way to put it. Make I'll, humor I'll out that. of a concussion, but I'll take that. you know he clearly knocked out a little bit there, and I mean, thankfully he didn't get more injured being on the mat like he was. But that was one of those like little side storylines that came out of the match that you know nobody really expected to see happen. But uh, glad he's glad he's good, and uh, you know, young bucks. I don't hate it with them going up against FTR. I just think it's interesting with the way that they've been acting, the heelish way they've been, and the way FTR. Obviously, they are established heels. I thought it was interesting to go that route now with the way you booked the Young Bucks, but we'll see what happens. All right, now on to the uh, tournament to determine the number one contender for the AEW World Championship. First up, we had Penta versus Fenix, the brothers going up against each other, and boy, oh boy, what an amazing match that was. And I'll have to say... Were you surprised? Not at all. I mean, like, you just have to say it, though. It just You're not surprised, but man, it was a great match. But let me tell you this, you were correct in saying that Penta was not going to get over in this match, but... He did, but again, he didn't because Fenix ended up getting the win, but he got hurt. Phoenix gets hurt again. He's on the, sh he's not, I don't think he's on the shelf per se, because he said he's, he said to be okay, but we'll, he's not going to be able to move on the match. So we are going to see Penta versus the winner of the next match, which was Sonny Kiss taking over Joey Janela due to being exposed to someone who had coronavirus who took on Kenny Omega in a 30-second beatdown. Kenny Omega just hitting the one-wing angel, putting Sonny Kiss away, and uh, dumping six feet's worth of dirt on him, burying him underneath six feet under for an easy victory. And it will be Pentagon Jr. taking on Kenny Omega in the second round. Don't hate it, but I think Sonny Kiss could have at least deserved a somewhat of a match in that one. Uh, if you want to establish Kenny Omega as you know the forefront of what... You know, the, your next big singles guy, which let's be honest, he needs to be that. And it's oh, yeah, overdue. 100%. He should never. I don't think he really should have ever been in the tag team with Hangman. I get what they were trying to accomplish, and I think they did. But, I mean, Kenny's so much more valuable as a, a singles guy. We know what he can do in the ring. So you want, you know, you need to kind of, I hate to say this, you got to reestablish Kenny Omega, but you kind of do. And I think that's what the tournament here. Is going to do, but I mean, Ken, you know, Sunny Kiss is not established at all, and you never see matches like that. Um, it's just you know, really in AEW at all, because even on Dark, you know, they end up with 
somewhat competitive squash matches. I, I just think that kind of maybe they were running short on time. I don't know, but it's to me it was a good way to do it because you know you don't see a match in that quickly. It was kind of out of out of nowhere, and it's like whoa, look at that! Kenny just beat him. And to me, the match was worth it just in the fact that, that look that Kenny Omega gave the camera. That's just like whatever. I mean, he almost had an Orange Cassidy right. look on his face. Like, yeah, he just like look what I just did. You okay. put me up against this guy, really? That kind of look. But exactly, here, exactly. Here's, here's another thing that was interesting to me. Before, when he came out, he had two pretty girls with brooms in, which can only mean one thing: we are coming seeing the return of the cleaner, Kenny Omega. I'm thinking that he may make a return with that first persona of his. But as I said before, I think that that's I I agree. You do need to establish Kenny Omega as a as like a monster heel I guess is the best way to put it but I don't think the tournament was the time to do that kind of match if I'm being honest because this is supposed to be like a number one contenders tournament where the best of the best are competing and if you just make Kenny's opponent look that weak it just makes you think why the hell was he in there to begin with and I just think that was kind of a waste of a first round I think Kenny Omega should have at least given made it a little bit more competitive but at the same time I think he still could have gotten over a lot more but it's not as not as quick as it thinks so now let's go on to... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, if it would have been... I wonder if it would have been booked the same way. And I'm wondering if it has a little bit to do with... Sonny Kiss is very... His character is obviously more of a comedic side of, of, of wrestling. Uh, he can do some athletic things, but, I mean, yeah. you don't really take Sonny Kiss seriously. I wonder if that was just their way of keeping this tournament to be, okay, This you know these are this is a serious game here. We're trying to win you know a number one contendership. Whereas I could see where you could almost take Joey a little more seriously in that situation. And he's the king of death matches in Japan too. So exactly. So uh, I'm wondering if that was kind of that played into it a little bit. Why you just go that route? That okay, you know, we're going to put Sunny in this match, but you know, it's obviously Kenny's going to win, and we need to make him look strong, and we need fans to take what's happening seriously. Hey, let's establish him, and you know, Kenny had. Man, that's an ode to what used to be a common thing with him in, in New Japan. You know, that was he was known for kind of a thing over there with the, and I, you've seen that a lot with NXT over the years with the the cool entrances that are for special occasions. Kenny used to have some of the cooler entrances in New Japan, so to see him start to do that again, which he hasn't done for a long time in AEW, it's going to be great to see once he comes out. Which you know, you and I have talked about this. We both think he's going to be. Uh, not just you know make it to the finals of this thing. He's probably going to win this thing, and uh, to see what you know entrance he comes up with for full gear is going to be interesting. So let's move on to the other half of the bracket. Now we have um, Jungle Boy taking on Wardlow, and this is the match that I kind of thought would have gone a little bit more evenly towards Jungle Boy. I thought Jungle Boy was going to get over, and I was wrong on this one. Wardlow ended up getting the win. But overall, Jungle Boy still looked pretty good in the ring. Uh, the Wardlow, man, he just looked absolutely dominant in this one. Yeah, they made him. That's probably the most dominant they've ever really put him in in, in a ring in AEW. Because if you think about, you know, when they put him in some of those squash matches early on when he first debuted. I mean, again, it's not somebody. Jungle Boy's kind of been established as, you know, he might not be, uh, you know, a dominant singles guy yet. But he's definitely someone that can go and they've established that well with his matches with MJF and with Cody you know he's not just a guy that's part of Jurassic Express he is he's more than that and so that was definitely an impressive win for Wardlow 
honestly, I think when we were making the predictions last week, I don't think I had Wardlow winning this thing, but just because, you know, they've, they've done a lot with Jungle Boy, but, you know, trying to push him up as kind of one of the next, you know, breakout guys down the road and to see him get a chance to get a one up on Wardlow, especially when he's beat him before, uh, you know, I kind of figured he would go that route and you'd get to see Jungle Boy and the uh, uh, Hangman Page in the, in the semis, but obviously we didn't. And uh, now, whoo. That's a monster of a hoss for uh, Hangman to have to to ride his horse over. Transitioning over to the other match, which is Hangman Page taking on Cole Cabana of the Dark Order. I predicted that Adam Page was going to win, but the one thing I didn't see coming was the fact that Dark Order actually seemed to come out and comfort Cole Cabana after the loss. I thought for sure that we would have seen a little bit more tension between Cole Cabana and the Dark Order. We saw a little bit in the pre-match when he was talking with Silvers and Reynolds in the back. Silvers and Reynolds making it clear that they did not like him at all because they were about to go face off for the tag team titles in that fatal four way to determine number one contenders. They're saying, hey, we'll win the tag titles. You guys, you win the AEW title. We'll make the Dark Order gold. But obviously that didn't happen. But I will say this. Cole Cabana still looked pretty good in the match. Hangman Page is looking very aggressive, which he needs to be if he's going to go on to the finals, which we predict to go up against Kenny Omega. But what we're going to see here against Wardlow, that's going to be a very interesting matchup to see that how Hangman Page is going to pull off his cowboy stuff to get over Wardlow. Yeah, can you imagine him actually hitting the clothesline to knock out the Buckshot Wardlow? ain't going to take him out. Know. Buckshot ain't taking yeah, him out. Yeah, I don't... I, that's gonna he's gonna have to he's probably it's gonna be one of those things where he outsmarts Wardlow to get the win and I, I think that's definitely going to happen uh but yeah I mean interesting the way that they book that I mean I think eventually we are gonna see a blow up here with uh Cole Cabana and the Dark Order it's I mean they've been building to that for a while now so we'll, we'll get there eventually but uh obviously they weren't ready to go that route just yet so I, I like the semis matchups um even though we're not getting Phoenix and Kenny we know Penta We'll give Kenny a great match, uh, which we'll, uh, I'm assuming we'll see that this week. Also, uh, you get the uh, Hangman Page and Wardlow match. It'll be really interesting to see how Hangman, because I don't see in any world where Wardlow gets to the finals. I just that doesn't make no. it wouldn't really help to establish Kenny, and it just uh, especially if you're going the heel route with him. And uh, it's just too early for Wardlow to be even be in that situation. So it'd be interesting to see how uh, Hangman Page comes away with the win. I think you'll have to break him off of MJF for that to happen. So I think that's the only way to get oh, Wardlow. Agreed. Yeah. And but I'll tell you this one thing I do find interesting. Kenny and Penta is a rematch from the all-in pay-per-view, I think. Because if you remember, they had a really good match back in the Sears Center in their first ever pay-per-view. And after the match, Chris Jericho, dressed as Penta Jr., attacked... Kenny Omega because they were feuding at the time before the Rock and Rock and Rager at Sea, I believe. But yeah, that match itself is good, and we're going to see another rematch of that. And I think that is something to look forward to, especially if it's going to be anything like their first matchup. Oh, absolutely! And I mean, it's just you're going to have a great match. You just have to have a great match. You know, Kenny's obviously fantastic, but. You know, those that haven't seen Penta in those single situations, well, first of all, just go back and watch the match from last week. You know, him and Phoenix put on a show, but, you know, if you don't believe us, go watch Impact Wrestling from, you know, 18 and, and 19 when, you know, he was he was the champion in 2018 after he beat Austin Aries, and there was a series of matches where Aries and Penta and Phoenix all faced each other. And look at his work in Lucha Underground. The dude can go not just as part of the Lucha Bros. He can go very well. Uh, as a singles guy, so it's going to be a great matchup. 
One thing I did like about the matchup between Phoenix and Penta was the fact that Penta kind of hesitated a bit, kind of had that little, in, this brotherly instinct, you know what I mean? Like the commentators even pointed out, he kind of hesitated to beat the hell out of his own brother, but then, and that eventually cost him the match. Which to me is very interesting because typically Penta's never had trouble going that heel route, even against his own brother. So that was kind of a, a cool way to go with that. That's a little a bit outside the box. But yeah, I mean, little bitty, little bitty nuggets in a match like that, man, just really add to it. Very true. Very, very true indeed. And that's that storyline thing that you keep talking about that really br- brings people in. And that is proof that it's working. So let's wrap this. That's thing. all that matters. At the end of the day, great matches are great matches, but they're only that. And unless there's great story, if you put great story in there, then people care. You can have if you had a full card of great matches, but there's no real reason for those great matches. Guess what? None of them are great and nobody's going to remember them because what was the reason? Who were you behind? You know, the ones that stick in your mind forever, the ones that, you know, I wanted to see this guy win for whatever reason. Usually the story has a lot to do with it. So, yeah, that's the only thing, in my opinion, that's saving this Roman Reigns, Jey Uso feud, because initially there was like no believable way that that match would ever happen unless there was something more there. So now let's wrap things up with the TNT title. Cody Rhodes versus Orange Cassidy this week on Dynamite. The winner of that to face Darby Allen for the TNT title at full gear. Now we're going to, let's face it, Cody's going to get over in this one. That's, I think that's kind of a given because you, Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen, there's just nothing, there's not that much of a story there. Orange Cassidy just, you just don't see him going on like as a heel or anything like that to comment, to compliment Darley, Darby Allen. Cody, you can you can see he can kind of have that mean streak about him, especially the fact that these two have faced off before. We talked about this last week on the podcast, and Cody and Darby Allen that could be a show stealer right there, especially if a title is on the line. And Darby has really shown himself to be really focused and determined to get in the spotlight. No, absolutely, and yeah, you're not. It's Orange Cassidy wouldn't work as a heel, so you're not going to go that route. Um, I do think Orange Cassidy's going to have a run with the TNT title. I don't think he would ever be a world champion in AEW. That character's just, you know, everybody loves it, but it's never going to it's never going to be taken that seriously enough where you could actually get him over to that point. But I think the time will come for him. It's just not yet. And you know, we talked about it a little bit last week that uh, with with Cody, maybe man, that heel run for him could be the way to go with the TNT title, and that's why Cody's going to have to get down here. Uh, and, and face Darby at uh, full gear. And that match just makes sense. And they've got a history. Uh, you can go that route. And the match should be fantastic. And, you know, maybe Darby wins. Maybe it establishes him uh, with the title. And then, you you know, the heel Cody comes back and gets the title back and, you know, finds his way to weasel his way out of matches, you know, night in, night out from here on out. But, um, you know, we'll just kind of have to see where it goes. It's an interesting time uh, with the TNT title. I think Cody's done a great job establishing the belt. And, you know, I really want to see somebody get a good rub off of winning it, which is why, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that we're headed towards Darby Allen at full gear, I wouldn't necessarily hate Orange Cassidy winning the belt now. Uh, but uh, I think if you're really going, if you're going that full, you know, that uh, full gear route with Darby Allen, it makes sense for it to be Cody. As we said last week, you kind of have to give Orange Cassidy the second chance because he just missed the missed the TNT title by one right. second of the time limit. So it's kind of only fair that it's only right that he gets that opportunity. But I'll tell you this, as much as I love Orange Cassidy, I do agree with you that at he'll will he will get his opportunity eventually to have a good title run. It's just not now given the storyline coming ahead. 
Well, Chris, I think that we had yeah. a. I think we pretty much covered everything this week in wrestling as far as the other guys go. What would you, anything you think you might want to bring up going forward? Dude, I think we covered about all we can here today. I mean, we covered the gamut. We had a fun weekend of wrestling with Hell in a Cell and Bound for Glory. We obviously talked about Impact earlier. NXT's got some exciting stuff going on with Halloween Havoc this week. And obviously, we're building up to full gear, man. I'm excited because, you know, for those uh, that aren't in the know out there, full, uh, that weekend of full gear is going to be fun, too, especially that Saturday. If you're a fan of New Japan, they've actually got one of their bigger shows, uh, Power Struggle, which is going to be earlier that earlier that morning here in the states it'll be at nighttime over there in japan but it's the same day as full gear so i'm getting pretty excited about the fact that when i get up on saturday morning of full gear i'm gonna throw on my new japan world and watch you uh, see if uh tetsuya naito is gonna head into uh wrestle kingdom as champion this year so he defends the title against evil his former teammate there in the uh uh lij stable over there i never can pronounce the name of the group correctly so i'm not going to try but lij um and we'll see what happens there but then later in the day man full gear you're going from one weekend of bound for glory and hell in a cell this past weekend to two weekends from now a couple of big shows there with uh, AEW new japan man it's an exciting time to be a wrestling fan i'll tell you what i can totally see you in your footsie pajamas with your son sitting on the couch watching full gear like you came on christmas morning man that'd be uh, maybe your wife joins in i don't know man i don't know if she's into that sort of thing but she'll hey. probably be taking a nap because it's going to be well deserved considering that you know she works really hard with him and it's kind of funny the last uh the last AEW pay-per-view, which was all out, happened the weekend, Labor Day weekend, which was the uh, Saturday before he was born. So it would be quite fun to be able to sit there and, well, he'll probably just sleep the whole time. But hey, it'll be in my <laughs> arm while, while we watch the show. It'll be great. Right. As long as you don't wake him up by yelling, what the hell was that? Or, yay, we got a new champion. You learn or- pretty quickly that you don't yell around your child when he's sleeping because the last thing you want him to do is cry. You also don't crank the TV up near as loud. So very true. Little very things true. you learn. Yeah. Little things you learn once you become a dad. I will, hopefully I'll find that out eventually for myself. But anyway, that's going to wrap things up for us here at the finishing move. The other guys podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. I am at intern David 680. Chris, give us your contractual cheap pop for us, sir. My cheap pop. Okay. Well, I'm at bearded Colwell and as big John likes to give me crap for guess what? Big John, that has been the same for now longer than Bailey's title reign because it is over. I have the reign as the longest Twitter holder at Bearded Colwell. So, boo. Well, there you go. Well, by the way, you're the one that has it in his contract, not me. Just saying because you have the... It's because you you're an intern. You don't have a contract. Hey, man. Uh, time will tell, my friend. Just give it time. Don't forget the official show Twitter as well, at Wrestle Extra. Follow us on there. Don't forget to tune in as well every Thursday at 7 p.m. on 106.3 Sport Extra, 106.3 FM. And also follow us on our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, thepodcastpark.com, anywhere where you get your podcasts. We will be there under the Finishing Move banner. That's going to wrap things up for us here for the Bearded One, Chris Cowell. I am the intern, David Holloway, saying good night. Peace.